Guys, yeah, it's wonderful to be here. Um, it's my first time in this building. I heard about this building in May when I was with the, um, the, the morning congregation. What they called? City Bowl. City Bowl. And so it's, it's really lovely. And I mean, you guys are full already. I think that's quite amazing. I've only been going for such a short time. Um, so it really is a privilege to be here. So I want to share this uh, evening um, from the book of 1 John. That's going to be my main text, but you, you don't have to open it now. It will all be up on the screen. Um, but I want to share this. You know, in 1 John, he, he says two things about the Lord. He says God is, and who could guess what one of them is? God is, I heard them both there. God is love, and then God is light. And so I'd like to share on the second one, God is light. And they're actually very um, intertwined anyway, these things. So it's just really interesting uh, that people would, um, in the world especially, a lot of people know the fact that God is love. Uh, I don't think that many of them know the fact that God is light. Uh, which is another element to it. Anyway, but let's, before I, I get going, I wanted to share a couple of uh, facts about light. Okay, so firstly, light is made up of energy. Light travels in a straight line. Uh, objects in its path will cause it to bend or refract. These are all scientific facts. The speed of light is uh, roughly 300,000 kilometers in one second. That's seven and a half times around the earth in one in one go, in one second. So, I don't know if you can even do this seven and a half times. So, it's going like that right around the whole earth, eh? That's very, very fast. Um, uh, there's an English law. This is in England. There's an English law called right to light. The law dictates that if someone has received natural light in their building for more than 20 years, they are allowed to forbid the construction of buildings that would block the stream of light. Quite interesting. And that's because it's such a, it's so valuable. Imagine a, if someone came and built you and like blocked all your light, you know, you wouldn't be very stoked. So, and then uh, when, have you ever heard that saying, I'll do it in a jiffy? Okay, so when, you, when someone says that, they're referring to a unit of measurement. A jiffy is the time it takes light to travel one centimeter in a vacuum. And that time is 33 trillionths of a second. Okay, so those are just some interesting facts. Yeah. But, you know, if you don't remember any of those things after tonight, I won't be offended. Okay. Uh, what, what, we do need to, um, what we do need to remember tonight is the fact that God is light. And, and so if the new, in a New Testament church, any New Testament church is meant to be a healthy church. And a healthy church needs to reflect aspects of God. So we need to reflect that He's love. We also need to reflect that He's light. What does it mean that God is light? And we're going to start looking at that. The Bible does say when it describes sinful humanity, that it says that they traded the truth about God for a lie. They began to think of foolish ideas of what God is like. Their minds became dark and confused. So that's what the world is like. But when we get saved, like God is light, we encounter the God of light. And so that darkness and confusion starts to, starts to be flooded out. And, and light starts coming into, into our lives. Okay, so Psalm 36 verse 9 says this. Talking to the Lord, for with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. It's only when God is near to us that the darkness around us starts to be illuminated. In your light do we see light. Now, I want to start sort of tonight by thinking about, because I want to speak from 1 John, 
One John is the same guy who wrote the, um, the, the, what do you call it? The Gospel of John, <laughs> sorry. And he also wrote the book of Revelation. And then he wrote one, letters, three letters, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. He was that apostle that is described himself as the one that Jesus loved. So he had this revelation that God is love. Uh, but he also had some, somehow he had this revelation that God is light. And where did he get this revelation from? Well, okay, we know that he, in the book of Revelation, he sees like a massive amount of things in the spiritual realm. But think, let's just think through his life. How did he get the revelation that God is light? Well, in the, in the Gospel of Matthew, it says, it says that after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led him up a high mountain by themselves. Just the three apostles. And he and Jesus was transfigured before them. And the face of Jesus shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. So you can just imagine that up to this point, I don't know how long they'd been with Jesus, they kind of had this idea, you know, that the, the, all the apostles, they didn't know that he was Messiah as they started. They kind of had an idea that this is someone special. They started seeing him do miracles, but they didn't know like they knew. And, and, and it was like an ongoing revelation. And I think at this moment, he suddenly saw this guy that he was just a man become, it was evident that he was God. Hey, imagine his face just shining bright light. I mean, these guys were terrified. Shone bright, and his clothes became as white as lightning. I think another translation or another uh, scripture somewhere says, you couldn't bleach the clothes whiter than what they saw it there. And, uh, and that's, that's actually who he really was. And so they were getting a glimpse just suddenly as to this is who he really is. This is who he's always been. You know, I've, my eyes have just been veiled, and now suddenly I'm seeing it. And so they witnessed this. You know, in Revelation 22, it says that Jesus is called the bright morning star. So there's a lot of evidence that he's light. In fact, uh, there are many descriptions about even God in the scriptures saying that God is light. But in front of him is a very, very thick darkness, dark clouds that veil this light. Uh, this is quite interesting. And, um, and so then in the same encounter in Matthew 17, it says, While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud, not just a normal cloud, a bright cloud. You know, there's a cloud that's full of light. Um, overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud came. They couldn't tell what was happening. They were standing there, saw Jesus was full of light. Suddenly a cloud comes around them. The cloud is full of light. They can't see anything. It's probably like a mist, you know. And, uh, and they just suddenly hear this voice, this loud, thunderous voice saying, This is my beloved son, whom I, with whom I'm well pleased to listen to him. It's just God confirming. You know, I'm light. They experience right there God is light. And they experience God the Son is light. Just amazing. And, um, and uh, it says there in Matthew 17, like, When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces terrified. And that word terrified means violent fear. So it wasn't just like they were in awe of God going, like, wow, like he's so awesome. They actually fell on their faces because they couldn't do anything else. God is light. It was so powerful for them. Um, yeah, and we'll get into it a bit later. But there's something about light that penetrates. And I think they were just, they didn't know what to do themselves. No one told them, bow down. No one told them, like, fall on your faces right now. It was automatic. Like, when they, 
when they saw this, that they were on their faces, it says, in violent fear. And so you think to yourself, well, isn't God love? Isn't God love? Well, then why, why would they do this? Well, God is love, but he's also light. And so uh, we, to understand the Lord, sometimes when people, someone has only one revelation of the Lord, it can really um, skew like the whole experience. I always think of God, when we speak about God and preach about God, you need to preach about the whole counsel of God. And so I always think of a tent. A tent has pigs on all sides. And if you pig it only on the one side, that tent is going to fall over. It'll be held up on one side, but on the other side, it's going to flop around. It needs to be pegged on all sides. So on one side, God is love. On the other side, God is light. On the other side, God is a wrathful God, and he's jealous God. On the other side, he's a merciful God, and he's a faithful God. And we actually need all of those expressions. That's who God is, you know. He's not just one. And so, actually, if you, if you type in in Google, God is, you'll find much more than just those two. You'll find a whole wide variety of descriptions as to what God is. But, okay, God is light. That's what we're focusing on. And, um, and they fell to their faces. Why did they fall to their faces? I want to take you forward quickly to um, Revelation chapter 6. It won't be on your screen, but there will be a picture for it of a girl hiding. And I want you to see this. Then the kings of the earth... And the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves in the caves. Why are they hiding themselves in the caves? Well, this is the second coming of Christ. And when they see him, this is what happens. At the second coming of Christ, they hide themselves in caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us, hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? This is quite eye-opening. God is light is a very serious thing. And uh, no one, no one on their own, including us, could stand in our own merit before before the, the God who is light. The brightness of his face will actually, so people, this is a description of the future. When people see Christ as he is, at the, at the first coming, he came as a baby, he came as a normal human being, you know, in looks-wise. But at the second coming, he will come as the rider on the white horse. He will, his face will be shining like the sun, and, uh, and people will be scared. In fact, so how many of you um, would say that you don't like, you, you've maybe got a bit of claustrophobia, you wouldn't like to be locked in a cupboard, or you wouldn't like to be locked in a... In a little hole somewhere. How many of you can Okay. So, people will rather have that than see his face one day. Because that's what the scriptures say. Because they will go, they will find caves in the mountains and they'll, they'll say, fall on this mountain, fall on me. Fall on me and hide me from the face. Because as long as I don't have to see his face. That's how powerful he is. Uh, in 1 Timothy 6, it says that God dwells in unapproachable light. It's so, the light is so strong, you cannot... I just watched a documentary recently. You can see it. I think it's on Netflix about the sun. And so the sun is like the, you know, when, when we look at the sun, it's, you know, it's nice and warm and, and, and uh, the sun is nice. But the closer you go to the sun, the more hectic it gets. Um, once when I was young, I took a pair of binoculars and I looked at the sun, which is a very bad idea. It burnt my eyes. And as you go closer to the sun, the the more and more hectic it gets. And so NASA made a very, very 
um, I don't know, very expensive like probe or a little rocket that would go to the sun. And the whole front of it is basically just mirrors. This very special material that could absorb the highest heat that's possible. I mean, you, I think you could virtually throw it into a volcano and that stuff would still be okay. And that thing, anyway, as you watch this documentary, you see the closer it gets to the sun, the more it can take photographs of what's actually happening. And the sun is hectic. And I just think that's the closest thing I can think of to, you know, God is light. So when we think that God is light, it's not just that he's warm, you know. <laughs> it's unapproachable light. And um, so all of this is happening, and they are falling on their faces, terrified before the Lord. And in Matthew 17, verse 7, it says, And Jesus came and touched them, and he said, Rise and have no fear. I think in another version he says, It is I. And when they look, it's, he's, he's just back to his normal earthly self. But they had that little moment of, of experiencing who he really was. And you can imagine for the rest of their earthly lives, they would have known. And they would have, they might, and I think he told them not to tell anyone about the experience, but they would have known. Like when I see this guy walking around, when I see him going to the bathroom, all these normal earthly things, that's just his earthly veil. Like that's not who he really is. Like he is light. And with that light comes power. And, um, and the, only, the only way to stand before, so you have to think to yourself, okay, so if Revelation chapter 6 is saying that people are going to, going to want to ask the mountains to come and fall on them and hide them from the face of him who's seated on the throne. Then what about us? <laughs> How's that going to work? Well, Jesus did come and he touched them. He touched them. He said, don't worry. It is I. Okay. Also, remember the leper, uh, the leper that Noah, he, he was unclean and he said, Lord, if you're willing, you can heal me. And Jesus said, I'm willing. And he touched him. So Jesus will touch the unclean, and he will make them clean. And that is called atonement. And that is what we've experienced through the blood of Christ. And so when we have the blood of Christ on us, well, we can stand. And so if you carry on, so at the end of Revelation chapter 6, it says, the, oh, the question is, who can stand? If this is who God is, who can stand? Revelation chapter 7 says, and after this I looked, and behold, a great, there was a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands. It's describing us one day. We will be part of this great multitude. Who is this great multitude? It's, the, it's describing Christians. We're from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language. It's the Christian world standing before the throne. Okay, They're clothed in white robes. In other words, the Lord has touched us. He's atoned for us. He's wiped away our sin. You know, the Bible talks about it. We'd be given a robe of righteousness. So, and palm branches in our hands. When did people have palm branches? When Jesus rode into Jerusalem and they were waving palm branches. They were, they were acknowledging him as king. We will be part of that great multitude who will be cleansed and acknowledging him as king with our palm branches. So, that's quite powerful, eh? So, um, and, and so they stand. While everyone else is on the, will basically melt, we will be standing before him. Okay, so I'm just building up something here about God is light. So, <clears throat> and so this is, this is what the Apostle John knew about Jesus. He remembered that day. In fact, even when you read, um, I think it's, it's one or two Peter, I think it's two Peter. Peter says, we were eyewitnesses to his majesty. 
And he speaks about that day where we, we were the ones who actually touched him. We, we saw him. We, we heard, he, Peter says, we heard the voice from the cloud that day. He writes back as a witness. You know, there were three of them that witnessed this. And they only spoke about it after Jesus is gone again. That's the background to, which I've taken a long time on, but the background to what we're going to read now in 1 John chapter 1, which describes that God is light. Okay. So, and the fact that God is light does have, it has implications on us as a church. And that's what I want to share with you tonight. So 1 John from verse, chapter 1 verse 5. This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. And if we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So the one thing I just want us to see right from the beginning is that God is pure light. When it says God is light, it means that the scripture says here, there's no darkness in him at all. So there are times where we don't understand things that the Lord does. It doesn't change the fact that he's pure light. There's no darkness in him. In the Old Testament, it talks about that the other nations were killed and at God's command. And we might not understand those things. Well, there's no darkness in him at all. You know, sometimes you think about your own life and you think, well, why are things wrong in my life? Why are things going so wrong? Why, the, why is this happening? Let's remember, there's no darkness in him at all. He's pure light. That's what the scripture says. And, um, you know, when Moses, a normal man in the Old Testament, went and had fellowship with God in the mountain, when he came down, his face was radiating light. And it was just the after effects of being in God's presence. It wasn't his own light. You know, it's almost like the moon. You know, the sun has its own light. The moon doesn't have its own light. The, lo- the moon just reflects. And so Moses is very much like, like the moon. You know, and that's how we would be after being in God's presence. Okay. And, God, and, um, and so even in that encounter, he had to take off um, his sandals at one point when he was with, at, with God just because of the holiness of God. But something I want to maybe say about the fact of God is light is that if God is light... We need to remember what light does. Light exposes everything that is dark. And if God is light and we're and we've receiving Him into our lives and we're bringing Him close, we're worshiping Him, His light starts exposing the darkness that's still there. On the day you get saved, a lot of the darkness flees. But, you know, there's this lifetime of outworking this where there's other areas of darkness. Sometimes subconsciously, you don't even know it's there. Even right now, if I just stand before the Lord right now as I am, He's going to expose so many things. Things that are probably subconscious, some maybe that are conscious. But I'm just saying, like we don't, we, I don't think we'll ever reach that point where we're perfect in this life. It's called sanctification. And so, um, in, Matthew, in Matthew chapter 27, uh, 45, describes something about the cross that I really wanted to point out. And it says this, As Jesus was hanging on the cross, it says, Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness all over the land until the ninth hour. 
And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma, sabach, I don't know how do you say that, sabach, That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So Jesus was hanging on the cross. As he's hanging on the cross, the whole land goes dark. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. Um, Sometimes people might have um, theories as to why that happened. Well, maybe it is a solar eclipse. But um, scientifically, they can prove that it wasn't a solar eclipse. You know what a solar eclipse is? It's when the, the earth is here, the sun is here, and the moon comes in between the two and causes a shadow onto a little point on earth. But this was at Easter time, at the Passover. Passover is always at full moon. So let me give you a geography lesson. Okay, Earth, sun, moon. That's a solar eclipse. Full moon. When the moon is, is close to the sun, it's called new moon, which means you can't see the moon. New, the full moon is when the moon is on the other side of the earth. So in other words, the sun is shining on the moon and the moon's shining back to the earth. So it was impossible for it to have been a solar eclipse, that is a sovereign, supernatural act of God. There's, there's no cloud that could have caused that darkness. Uh, there wasn't a dust storm that we read about. There's nothing that caused that darkness. The land went dark. Maybe like, like a, similar to the plague in Egypt, where God caused darkness to come upon the land, and they couldn't see. You know? And what I want to point out about this is if God is light... On the cross, Jesus does a lot of things. He breaks a lot of curses. He absorbs into himself a lot of the bad things of this world. And one of the things he takes away is is, is he absorbs our darkness. I think it's just a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful picture for us. So when we fall into darkness, we can turn back to the cross. We can break bread before the Lord and we can say, Lord, you died on the cross to absorb my darkness. And part of the darkness that Jesus... Um, part of his uh, shouting out to the Lord is, Lord, why have you forsaken me? And there are times, even as Christians, that we might go, I feel so alone, Lord. You And the Lord is sometimes, he sends you into a season like this. I feel like I've been through a season like this in the last little while where, going, Lord, you're actually so quiet. Sometimes I feel like I'm going through stuff and I'm just asking you for an answer and you're just like not giving me an answer. And it feels like you're so quiet. And so as I do these studies, it really like helps me. Well, firstly, there's no darkness in God. Okay, so God, you're not being dark towards me. And Jesus took the abandonment so that I could have your presence. You know, Jesus said, why have you forsaken me? You haven't forsaken me. God hasn't forsaken his people. Jesus was forsaken when he took our sin upon himself so that we could have his presence. And so now we can have his presence. And then, then, that's a promise from the Lord. And so at times, you know, I do think the Lord at times allows us to go through like testing times. But let's not confuse that and think that the Lord has abandoned us. He doesn't do that to his children. You know, I, I do, yeah, I mean, I have to qualify everything I say. I think there could be times where maybe walking in deliberate sin that there's suddenly like a pulling away of his, of the peace of the Lord. Um, but, and the Lord, I think, will allow that at times. But for the child of God who, who's really trying to follow him, the Lord is there. I mean, I always, I'm comforted by Psalm 139 where it says that there's no way I can go to escape his presence. I can go to the bottom of the sea. He'll be there. You know, so, okay. So let's just look at 1 John 1 verse 7. It says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we'll have fellowship with one another. So now suddenly... This has got an implication. He is light. Jesus is light. God is light. I've received him into my life. So as he comes into my life, light comes into my life. Now you have done the same. 
you were full of sin, you were full of darkness and bitterness and you had enemies and you hated God and all these things. And, and now suddenly you've received the Lord and light is coming to your life as well. So light's coming to my life, it's coming to your life. And it has its implication because now I can have fellowship with you. It's just like this weird thing. If I walk in the light as he's in the light, then I will have fellowship with one another. The blood of Jesus cleansed me. The blood of Jesus has cleansed you. And, uh, and so we, don't, we can now walk as children of light. In uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, it says, For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. And once you become a Christian, you start feeling this difference between you and people who are actually still filled with darkness. Um, even if they were your best friends for your whole life, even their family members, there's this thing you just feel like Bible says, you know, um, you can't be unequ- unequally yoked. Uh, you can't drink sweet water and bitter water from the same spring. When we're around, once you're a Christian, your best friends and your partners in life can't be people of darkness anymore. It will feel wrong on the inside. Um, sometimes people uh, might be married and they get saved and their partner's still unsaved. I mean, and we need to stay in that relationship and the Lord wants us to. Um, there might be other things. It might be family members. You know, relationships that are set. It's not that we're going to walk away from them, but there's a difference and you'll feel it. And uh, often, often though, um, it might be best friends. And I remember my, my friend, uh, he, he was a real rebel at school. I want to talk about him a bit later as well. But I remember when he got saved, for a few months, they carried on being friends, and eventually they reached this, I mean, no one does this, you know, in normal life, but they reached this point where they just realized they, they're going into two different, their lives, he's hit a turning point, and his life is going in a different direction. And they actually had to have, have this conversation, and go, well, you know, we, 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 I mean, like, I've never heard people doing this, but they had a formal conversation. They didn't just sort of end in a, um, being ugly to each other, they were like, you know, we've always been best friends, but that's not going to work. Like, I'm walking a different way now. And they actually had this conversation, breaking up their friendship. Still in the same school, still greet each other, but they just knew. They're not the same anymore. It's quite interesting. I don't know, have any of you ever, ever had to do something like that? Just by a show of hands, I'd love to see. If any of you have had to do that, just walk away from close people. Sure. And, and no one told you to do that. It's like it was just... It is the Holy Spirit inside of you, the light inside of you. At other times, the light inside you actually touches that person and they might get saved through you. So I got to see my family. My family, we, they always went to church, but they didn't know the Lord. When I got to know the Lord, I was 16 years old, and I knew that my family didn't know him the way I w- was now finding him. And um, it was shortly after that, my dad, my dad gave me a lift to a prayer meeting. So then he decided, uh, you can't go home until you'll stay at the prayer meeting. You know, and then the next day, he brought my mom as well. So my dad and my mom were at the prayer meeting. And they actually got saved. And it was so great. My mom and I got baptized on the same day. And I remember seeing the rift that was causing in, in even her family, my mom's family, because their parents were very religious and they didn't, you know. But, yeah, they became children of, of light. And it's such a privilege for me to, to, be, to know that I was the first in my family to really know him. And then through my life, my whole family got, got saved. I'm sure many of you have got stories like that, it's just, it's, but it's, it's, it's nice. Okay, and so the scriptures in Ephesians chapter 5, it says, At one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. 
Once we are, once we know the Lord of Light, we can't de- deliberately walk in darkness anymore. And I know that times that that happens. I mean, I was saved for about two months, and I nearly went off the rails for a few weeks. I, I just started losing my way. I wasn't being discipled properly. Although I can't blame anyone, I just knew I was compromising. And there were a couple of times in my early Christian life where I actually started veering off the path of light. But the Lord every time came and fetched me. And I mean, that, that is a testimony that I have. He fetched me. And I do believe that He does it. He doesn't just give you one chance, you know. Um, but I was close to actually um, deciding at one point, like, no, this is not for me, you know. And, um, but the Lord is light, and we walk as children of light. So, so he says here that we need to have fellowship with one another as we walk in the light. So fellowship happens when any two people have both come into the light from the darkness, as I said, and, uh, and they allow the light of God to shine into them and to expose things and to be cleansed. And so that's what we have in church. And so it's so special that in a church context, we're not all sitting here because we've, we're all rugby players. Or we all like part of the, you know, we all like the same things. Or we all live in the same, exact same part of town, you know. A church has always got people of all sorts in it, a healthy church. And that, the one thing it brings us together, it could be an area, I, I suppose. But the one thing it brings us together is that we have light in our hearts. When I first got saved and I joined a church, none of the popular kids from, from school were in that church. But I went. And I went to youth group. And it was all the in a sense, unpopular kids that were there. But why did I go? It's because I had light and they had light. And even although they weren't like the kind of guys that I normally would have hung out with, I, I was attracted there. I was drawn there. You know, and because I had light and they had light, we were drawn together. And so that is what the Christian life is all about. And so <clears throat> fellowship is much deeper than just having the same interests. It's much deeper than, you know, and so sometimes it's a bit sad because in church you'll see some people only hang out with people exactly like them. And they've got a very shallow idea and understanding of what it means to have fellowship. Fellowship is much deeper than um, just, you know, well, I'm a mountain biker and you're a mountain biker, so we're going to hang out together. Fellowship, let's open our circle to all those around us. You know, you might be in a community and and it's always, you know, in your community, I look at it all the time, wherever I go. Communities are filled with people that are very different. You know, you get some old and some young and some uh, sporty and non-sporty. The, the common factor is we're in the light, you know. And, and the, the, I find the people who resist that, are, um, they're normally still dealing with aspects of selfishness in their lives. And they're blocking themselves from a lot of blessing from the body of Christ. And uh, so we've just learned Open, just open, open your heart. Open your heart to, I mean, it's not like, you know, we're in the process of sanctification. It might take time to learn these things. But open your heart and you won't be disappointed. So, there's a lot of humility that needs to happen um, in, in all of this as we embrace people that are different to ourselves. So, um, you know, fellowship can happen amongst very unlikely people as well. Now, I just wanted to point out Someone who became a very best friend of mine at one point was a guy that uh, when I met him, I was in grade seven. So the, the last day of junior school, we were about to go over to the senior school to sort of walk around. We were in an all-boys school in the Eastern Cape. And um, 
And so the teachers gave all us grade five. So like 13 years old, they give us like a, a cup of Coke. We're walking through the school with a cup of Coke. One of the senior boys in the senior school comes up to me. He's all rough. And he says, hey, give me a sip. I looked at him and I was like, no, <laughs> I'm not going to give you a sip. And, um, and he looked at me and he said, next year, I'm going to get you. You know, this is the last day of the, of the December holiday. And the whole December holiday is, oh, I should have given him a sip. Because next year, next year is going to get me. And, like, and I was nervous. And I remember the first day of school, I was there and I saw him. And I saw him looking at me, but he must have kind of forgotten about it. But he was just a scary kind of guy. And that guy, a year later, there was a, a missionary that came to the school, and he got saved. And once he got saved, like, later on, like, we became friends. And he actually personally discipled me. And eventually, he was the best man at my wedding. You know? <laughs> He's actually an elder in Josh Jen. His name's Grant Baker. <laughs> For those of you that know him. So, yeah. So, Grant, yeah, Grant was... Grant is a rebel, and he was mean, and like, anyway, and, uh, and, 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 he be, and his whole, when Grant got saved, his whole life turned around like this. He became a light in the school. Eh? He was the, such a big rebel the one year, and then the next year, like, the school, he actually changed the whole school almost. Honestly, he had a profound impact on the school. I'm just saying what happens when God saves you, and when light comes into your life, you know, and um, anyway, so... Part of the process also of walking and God being light and allowing this light into our lives is confession. I really wanted to point out this out because I think something of, of your, deepening your fellowship with one another is embracing confession. So verse 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. James chapter 5. Verse 16 says this, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Sometimes there's this sin that you've been carrying, that you've been struggling with, and, um, and you don't know what to do about it. And the only time you get relief is when you actually confess it to another a believer, uh, someone who's not just going to judge and tell you how awful you are and bad you are because you're struggling, but someone who will pray with you. And the, but Jesus also teaches his disciples. He says like, when you forgive each other, they'll be forgiven. I can't remember the exact verse and how it's, but it's something about proclaiming forgiveness. Sometimes when we confess things to each other, as as like just say someone comes and confesses something to me, I, I need to hear them out. I need to help them. Maybe pray that out to the Lord and help them confess to the Lord. But then I actually need to have a job as well, and I need to proclaim the Lord's forgiveness over them. Something so powerful about that, because there's so many people who are struggling with a sin. And they hate the sin, but it keeps coming back, and they can't get out of it, and they, can't get, and they just walk in shame and guilt. They come to church, they can't even enter into worship because the guilt is in the back of their mind. And that's often what, what many Christians live in. And, and part of what breaks darkness is light. And how do you bring light? Well, you confess it. You bring that sin out of the secret place into the light, maybe with two or three friends that you trust, and you say, this is what I've been battling with. And what I would like to even bring to you is maybe even more than that. Maybe even more than just confessing our sins and taking our masks off, showing them who we really are, but even confessing our vulnerabilities. How about that? So, in other words, don't just wait until you've sinned, but if you know you've got a weakness in a certain area, how about confessing that to one another? How about saying, look, I have a weakness in this particular area. 
and uh, and I, I really need you guys. Maybe it's uh, two or three guys or ladies in your community, and you want to share that with them. And you ask them, hold me accountable. I want to walk in the light with you. And uh, and so we can actually help each other to overcome our, our vulnerabilities and our weaknesses. And, you know, the Lord, is He keeps on working with this stuff. Okay, so um, I don't know how long I've been preaching for, but I think I'm going to kind of end there. I just want to see if I've got one or two. Uh, I've got one more thing I want to say. One more thing I want to say. So, firstly, maybe just to summarize. If we're going to be a healthy church, and this congregation being one years old now, uh, I think it's just very, very special. And, um, and I do feel that this is like part of your inheritance for going forward, is to do these things that we've been speaking about tonight. But remember, uh, God's light, God is light, His light shines. Uh, when we understand the power of His light, you know, it brings holiness into our lives. His light penetrates the dark areas, flashes out the darkness. Um, we, as Christians, don't have to walk around with secret sins any longer. The Lord wants us actually to, in the world, people do that. They just put on a mask. God doesn't want His church to be like that. He wants us to be people who will be open. You might not have to confess your sin to your whole community or to the whole church. I think there are times where it's very helpful. The more light you bring, the more power there is. But there are, you don't always have to do that. There are times you can confess to one or maybe two or three or to your leader or something like that, you know. Okay. Um, and true fellowship means truly knowing each other. So, and uh, knowing each other's weaknesses and vulnerabilities. It's not like, you know, I'll give you an example of the world, the opposite the world is to us. The world loves Facebook and Instagram. And what do they put on Facebook and Instagram? Do, they, do you think they, all the good things. Look at my awesome holiday. Look, look how awesome our family is. We only smile together and, you know, we never fight. <laughs> you know, that's what the world does. So the world, the, I mean, yeah, anyway, it's just one of those things. And you'll all be aware of it. People put their best foot forward on, on the public um, forum. But in the church, God wants us to be much deeper than that. And he wants us to, sh- to actually bear our souls to one another. And I think there's real power for us in that if we will embrace it. And that's true fellowship. And, um, and confession needs to probably be something that we do on a fairly regular basis. Okay. So I want to end off with this one scripture. Uh, Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1, 2, and 3. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, And thick darkness the peoples. We can see that even in this world. But the Lord will arise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. The church is a light in the darkness. And when we walk in these ways, they will see something. And we hear that from people all the time. I'm sure you guys have got many testimonies. And we'll probably hear some testimonies like this already now and shortly. Where people go, I've camped at church, and people would just, they just embraced me. They're so friendly. I went to community. Everyone is so loving. I've never, I didn't know something like this existed before. People will say those kinds of things to us all the time. And, uh, yeah, I'd love to just pray with you uh, tonight. tonight. Um, Ephesians 3, I'll end off with this. Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God will be made known into the heavenly realm, through the heavenly principalities and powers. The wisdom of God shines through as the church walks in these ways. 
Yeah. Okay, so Christine's going to help me do a prayer for us. Yeah. So when Vincent uh, mentioned how Jesus had taken the abandonment um, away from us, um, I just felt like the Lord was on that a little bit, you know, so... Uh, we can be, sometimes we can be in church, but sometimes we can still feel alone inside and we don't always realize it's because we haven't let that guard down. We haven't allowed, we haven't truly walked in the light. And um, sometimes not deliberately, it's just that we haven't known that it's safe or what that looks like. And I've really prayed with quite a few people, even people in leadership, who go, I know that there's all these people here, but I still feel alone. And that is not the inheritance that Jesus has for us. And seeing how actually one of the big ploy of the devil is to bring isolation into people's lives. And through prayer, just have seen, it's like a bubble almost in the spirit, like, and, and the, like allowing the light of the, of the Lord to actually break that bubble and allow them out to where they feel con- truly connected with others, how Jesus intended us to feel. So, yeah, I'd love to pray with anyone who can relate with that.